All right, hey, so good to be with you all today. We are in part two of a series titled Better Together. And, uh, and I, I do, I mean, I just, you know, every time I play Mario, I'm like, why, why wasn't this a two-player game, right? It would have been so much better. But it's not. But Luigi is better with Mario, and Luigi is the best. And so uh, it is better together. Today we are in part two of this series. The, uh, the author of Hebrew says this, um, let us not give up gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing. He recognized that there was something very valuable about this experience, something very valuable about the way that we gather. Of course, they had smaller communities in in their day. They were meeting in people's living rooms and people's homes. There was something very valuable about the meeting together that he said, do not give that up. The, The gathering, the coming together is so very important, and we talked about this last week. The first reason that he says this is because in this context, we get to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You see, I recognize that this Sunday morning thing that we do is a, is a sliver of what we do here at Restoration Church, but it's an important part of what we do. This is kind of like the hub that launches us out into the rest of the week to be on mission and to do everything else that we do. But I also recognize that we don't have many places in our society that are going to spur us on towards love and good deeds. We took a little inventory last week of this, and there are not many places in our society that are going to spur us on towards love and good deeds. My friends, Facebook is not going to do that for you. Twitter certainly is not going to do that for you. Netflix, even your coworkers most likely aren't going to do that. Some of your family members aren't going to do that. There are not a lot of places in our society, in our world, that are going to spur us on towards love and good deeds. And here's why this is so important, right? When we fail to be reminded and spurred on towards loving good deeds, our human default is to drift towards selfishness. It's to drift towards ruin and our own destruction. And selfishness is inherent in every relational problem. And so take a quick inventory of any relational problem that you've ever had. Selfishness is going to be at the very core, at the very center of that. Take an inventory of the latest fight that you had with your spouse or the latest fight that you had with your friend. Selfishness is at the core, it's at the root of that fractured relationship. And because our human default is always to slide and to drift towards selfishness, we need people and we need communities in our life who are going to help us steer towards Christ. And there aren't many places in our society and in our world that are going to do that for you, but I hope the local church, specifically restoration in our context, is going to be that place for you. And so the author of Hebrews would tell us to keep gathering because our gathering serves as a guardrail. When we are not intentional about steering our life towards Christ, we will drift towards selfish behavior. But our gathering with others on a journey towards Christ will keep us on the road. The accountability, the community will keep us on the road. Now that was last week's message. You can find it if you subscribe to our podcast. You can find it on our webpage. You can find it on YouTube, on Facebook. You can find it all over the place if you're interested in going back and listening to more on those thoughts. But there's another reason in this, con- in this passage that the author of Hebrews told his audience to keep gathering. The verse continues. He says this. Do not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But keep encouraging one another. The word translating courage here in the Greek is perikaleo. Literally, to call to one's side is what this word literally means. To call to one's side. And so the imagery is actually a, it's a, it's a war imagery. It's a battle imagery. It's a, it's a, it's a military term. And the imagery is this. It's a, it's an, it's a man high up on a city wall. 
And his job as a watchman on that wall is to look for invading armies coming up over the horizon. That's all he does all day long is watch for those invading armies. And when he sees that an army is invading, he blows his horn. And that is a, a summon. It's a beckon. It's a, it's a call to arms for his people, for his community to rise up and to begin to fight. See, one individual looking out in the scene in front of him, knowing that he cannot defeat this army alone. And so he calls an army to his side. That's the imagery. That's a pericleo. That's what it means to encourage, right? In that fear of seeing this army alone, he is going to be encouraged as other people surround him. Maybe you've experienced that. When you are fearful about what you are facing by yourself, when there are other people surrounding you to help you, doesn't that fear subside? Oftentimes it does. A pericleo, an encouragement in this context, is a call to arms. It's a call to fight. And so the author of Hebrews would say that we gather together in a context like this. We come together regularly and consistently because in our gathering, we become an army. We become an army. Now, I'm not trying to be overdramatic here, right? I'm, I'm not, uh, but you know that if, well, maybe you don't know, the story of Restoration Church from our very fo- first phone call with Grace Point like nine years ago, about us moving from Minnesota cross-country to plant a church in an unknown town at that point. If you've never heard that story, or maybe if you have, you will know that it is ridden with challenges and obstacles that we had to overcome. You will know that there is no denying that there is a battle being waged in the heavens that is impacting this local church. That the enemy does not like what is being accomplished through Restoration Church, and so he has done all that he can to put obstacles in our way. In all sorts of mysterious ways, what happens on earth and in church bodies who strive to be faithful to God is really just an expression and, and, an, and an illustration of what is happening in the heavens. The war that is raging above us is impacting our experience here. And so we are an armor being called to war. We are in a war, and together we make a community of fighters, all playing various roles with various expertise and abilities to accomplish one singular purpose— We're here to raise up an army, not a collection of individual soldiers. And that's a really important part of this, right? We are an army working together, not just a collection of individual soldiers. And so we need the snipers and the bomb experts and the strategists and the medical experts to accomplish the task of winning the war. But here's the thing. If the the bomb expert chooses not to show up to training, then when they get called into the field to disarm a bomb, it's probably not going to go very well. And, and if the bomb experts choose not to show up for duty, then someone else is going to have to attempt to do their job, the role that only they are equipped to do, and that's probably not going to go very well either. See, we together are called on mission. It's not just that we're a collection of individuals. We are together called on mission, and we have a very simple mission here. Some of you may know it. It is to know God and to make him known, or you might say that our mission is to become like Jesus and then invite our community into that same life of knowing Jesus. Or you might simply say that it's to love God and to love others. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you could say it, but simply put, our mission is to know God more intimately, to grow up, to become like Christ, and then to make him known within our world. And so let me paint you a picture of why this matters. Imagine a typical household in American suburbia, right? Uh, maybe it's Levittown, maybe it's somewhere else. If you're watching online and you are in Chicago or, or in Virginia or wherever you may be, you're watching, maybe picture any house in suburban America. You've got two parents, you've got a few kids. 
Now, they don't participate in the local church, and they don't really know Jesus. They know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus personally or intimately. On the outside, they look together. They look put together. They seem happy, and the kids seem well cared for. But remember that without Christ, our default will always drift us towards selfish living. In the beginning, it's really subtle, isn't it? The father resents his wife because she doesn't make enough money. She always wanted to stay home with the kids, but she also always wanted fancy family vacations for her family, so she got a job. This job didn't fulfill her. It didn't give her purpose or life. It just gave her a meager paycheck. And in the end, the money went to bills and debt instead of those vacations. See, the husband sees the debt. The wife sees the lack of quality time with the family, and it causes them to fight. Always behind closed doors, of course. They never fight in public, right? They would never let the world see this. They don't want their children even to see it. But the kids hear it, and the kids internalize it, and they believe that they're the problem. Their activities cost too much. Uh, Feeding them, clothing them, the travel sports, the camps, the school supplies, it all costs too much. So in one ear, the kids are believing that they're the problem. But the reason the father is so concerned about money is really because of the expectation he puts on the kids to be the best and involved in everything. And so they have to play in all the competition teams, not because of their own ego, but because of his. And they have to go to the camps, and they have to have all the best equipment, and they have to excel. And when they don't, the father complains about the waste of time and the waste of money, and the kids feel that they are disappointments, and the kids believe they're the reason that their parents fight. And for years, the kids carry the weight upon their soul, this weight upon their soul. One of the kids, to to, uh, appease the, the weight of this upon her soul, pours herself into studying and extracurriculars, demanding that she become the best and the delight of her parents. The other kid takes it out, takes all that hurt and the frustration that she's feeling. She takes all that one night at a party and attempts to numb it away with a bottle. And then that bottle turns into weed, which then turns into heroin, which then turns into meth. And when at social gatherings, when the parents are asked about their kids, they always rave about the one kid and how successful she is and how awesome she is, and the other one is just having some struggles. And then the mom and dad go home, and the mom heads upstairs to bed, and the dad goes downstairs to watch TV. The oldest daughter is upstairs studying, and the youngest daughter is out partying. And on the outside, the family looks perfect and put together, and really there isn't much of a family at all. They're just four people who are looking for hope in different directions. Now, this is not a hypothetical family. When I was in high school, uh, I had a group of friends, and in that group there there were two people who were essentially living the same story. One of the friends was the oldest sister, and another friend was the youngest sister, the oldest sister was, was super smart, and she did super well in school, but when she would tell us about her family, she was, telling, she was painting the exact same picture I just told you. And, and my other friend, um, who eventually went into rehab just after high school, would paint the exact same picture of her, friend, of her, fa- of her family. Two suburban homes on the outside that looked really put together, and, and really these were just the two responses to the brokenness that was in their family. Neither family knew Jesus, and remember, when we don't intentionally steer our lives towards Christ, the human default is always to drift towards selfish living. And selfish living is at the heart of every problem. And so why does our mission matter? Why do we matter as a church? What, what does it 
matter that we're here? What does it matter that we do anything? What does it matter that we're on mission together as a church? Why does it matter that we're here in this region of the world? Well, friends, we are the hope of the world. And the world is looking for hope. And in, in a million different directions, the world is looking for hope. My friends, we are the hope of the world. And so without the living, breathing, active church, knowing God and helping our community to know God, hope would not exist in the world. And if you don't believe me, then think just for a minute, where would your life be if you did not have Christ at the center of it? Where would your household be if you did not have Christ at the center of it? And maybe you're here this morning because Christ is not at the center, and you have come to your wit's end, and you need to figure some things out. So we must continue to do what we do not just for our own sake, right? It's, yes, really good to be brought up into Christ's likeness. I truly believe that life with Christ is the best life that you can live. Life is better with Christ. Following Jesus makes life better. I truly believe that. But we do what we do, and we come and we gather together in, a, in an experience like this on Sunday mornings, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of our neighbors. Do you guys realize that? That as we become more like Christ, then we will have a further reach and a better invitation for our neighbors. You see, on the last night of VBS, we learned that we are chosen. It was the last point of the week. And there's a lot of theological weeds that need to be, you know, sifted through with this idea of being chosen. But true truths came out for me as I was teaching the kids about this. The first one was this. God only chooses sinners. This should blow your mind a little bit, right? Because we think, hey, no, God's only going to choose the, the good people or the right people. But friends, God only ever chooses sinners. And he invites sinners then into his redemption. Those people who claim that they have no problem, those people who are self-righteous and think that they are self-made, they have absolutely no need for God, and God then does not choose them. They will always be far from God's grace. They will always be far from God's favor. God never chooses the self-righteous. God only ever chooses sinners. But here's a really important part, and this is why we put the world back together that Emily talked about. God's choosing does not only provide us freedom, it also calls us to a mission. We have a purpose in our calling, in our being chosen. We get the honor of helping God heal the world. In other words, our individual mission is always bigger than ourselves. And so the reason that we come to a place like this on Sunday mornings is not just to puff ourselves up, it is not just to become more moral, it is not just to become better people, it is to be launched onto mission as we leave, to impact our communities and impact our neighborhoods. And if the mission and the purpose of the church is solely you as the individual and your own personal growth and your own personal morality, then it's fine if you just pop in from time to time and feel good about yourself and walk away never having gotten connected or plugged in or involved in your local church. We talked about this last week, how 80% of Christians choose their church solely on personal preference. And how a church's mission and purpose statistically is considered the least important factor in choosing a church. And so in the, in the few conversations I've had with people who have decided to leave Restoration, um, I've been told that the preaching wasn't adequate. I've been told that the music wasn't satisfactory. I've been told that we have too many women in leadership. But nobody has ever come to me and said, you know what, Ross, I, just, I don't believe that we should be about knowing God more intimately, and I don't believe that we should be about making God known to our community. Why do people leave churches? Because they are not being, their personal preferences are not being met. It's not that they weren't interested in being part of a mission, it's that they were not being met 
according to their personal preference. And so do you know what I think is one of actually the biggest problems with Christianity today? It's that we have usurped the authorship of the Christian faith. We have determined what it means to be Christian instead of God letting us, uh, telling us what it means to be Christian, letting his word inform us what it means to be Christian, in a large part because churches, right, churches are the corporate educators of the Christian faith, for the most part over the last 70 years have catered to the deepest pockets and have emphasized those areas of personal preference while letting the mission of the church lie at the bottom of the priority list. See, the, the, the problem is that the church has tried to become all things to all people instead of one thing to one God, and in the process has become very little to very few. The church was never meant to be a museum for saints. The church was always, always supposed to be a hospital for sinners. And the way we turn that is by realizing that as followers of Christ, we are part of a body. And we are not just here for our own personal preference and our own personal maturity. We are here for the sake of our neighbors. We are here for the sake of our community. The effectiveness of a community is always greater than any one individual, is it not? It does not take a rocket science to know that this is a principle. Five players on a basketball court will always accomplish more than any one single individual on that basketball court. The entire Amish community shows up for a barn raising. Why? Because one person cannot do it by themselves. They need the whole community to raise that barn. Sharon McMahon is an Instagram influencer from Minnesota. She has 643,000 followers on Instagram. You should certainly follow her. If you're not, she's the best thing on the internet right now, in my opinion. But she'll oftentimes come across a story that just breaks her heart, and she'll say, guys, uh, this, this story, this, this experience, this person's life is, is, has been put before me, and I'm brokenhearted of it. Is there something that we can do to help? And she'll ask for not $10,000 donations. She'll ask for 50 cents. Can, can, can you contribute 50 cents? Can you contribute a dollar? Can you contribute $5 to help this family who needs $100,000 to pay off their child's brain surgery? And you know what? Without fail, in like the, not even a year, she's, she's done this like 10 times probably. We, as a corporate community, have supplied the needs of every single need that has come across her desk. It's not that one person contributed all $100,000 to this need. It's that all of us came together to do a little to meet the goal. And this is why Paul tells us that we are the body of Christ. He says this in 1 Corinthians, Just as a body, though one has many parts... But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And then he goes on to talk about how the various parts work and how they're all important to its functioning. And then he concludes, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. It's kind of like a basketball game. Uh, So think about this analogy again, right? How many of you have ever witnessed just a phenomenal game-winning shot at a basketball game? It's so exciting, isn't it? Take a look at this. This is one of the most classic game-winning shots ever in NBA history. Sellers has Jordan. Jordan with two seconds to go. Puts it up and scores at the buzzer. Michael Jordan has won it for Chicago. I mean, how exciting is that, right? That's so awesome. Like, Michael Jordan gets the ball, two seconds left, puts it up. It's like the crowd goes wild. It's so exciting. But you know what they didn't cheer all that much for? The layup that happened 15 minutes earlier. They didn't cheer, and they didn't go excited. It's not as exciting as the free throw that was made. But guess what? If the free throw wasn't made, if the layup wasn't made, that game-winning shot would have meant nothing. Every shot made is important. 
It doesn't matter how glamorous or exciting the shot was, every single shot was important. And every player on that team then contributed to that win. As great as Michael Jordan was, he alone could not have beaten any team in the NBA that year. And it is the same way with the church. Every role being accomplished is an important role. And even more than this, without the participation of every single member of our body, together functioning in unity to accomplish a mission, then we will be deficient and we will be incapable in actually accomplishing that mission. Let me illustrate. I'm going to invite my son, uh, Ethan Ford, to, to be a volunteer for me. Ethan, do your, do your limbs work properly? Yeah. yeah. Most, most days? Where's that, where's that ball that I handed you earlier, bud? What? Oh, man, this is, this is not going <laughs> to... Okay, we may not do this illustration then. It was going to be a fun one. I did, oh, yeah. Oh, you did not. Give it back to me. It was a black ball. Oh, you got it. Yay. Okay. Yeah. Hey, bud. So this is Ethan. All your, all your limbs work functionally? Your body, your body works for the most part? It does? Okay. Cool. So your, your goal, your one, your goal, stay right there. Your, your one goal is to get this, that ball through this hoop, right? So we, we have a mission as a church, right? And for the sake of this little game we're going to play, um, Ethan has a goal, and that is to get that ball through this hoop. Do you think you can do that with all of your faculty? Oh, wow, okay. Oof. But here's the thing, right? Whether he accomplishes or not does not mean, uh, or whether his ability does, I mean, just the fact that he's capable of it does not mean that his mission necessarily will be accomplished every single time. Ask a Major League Baseball player how many times they achieve their goal, and they'll say, on a good day, three out of ten times, right? 300 batting average. Okay, so, so here's the challenge, though, right? When we are deficient, when we start to, um, what, what, what arm do you throw with, usually? Okay, so let's, let's try it with your left hand this time, okay? So here's the thing, like, when we, when we start to mix things up here, when the whole body isn't working <laughs> as well, this is, this is like, well, you know what, I, I, I probably really shouldn't be playing the guitar, but nobody else is playing the guitar, so I'm going to come up and play the guitar, and how, how good of an experience is that going to be for you all in worshiping, worshiping God, right? So, um, so here's the thing, can you, can you do it while you are, um, so, so if we're not able to... Um, if we're not able to, to see, right, if we take away our eyes, right, because, you know, that volunteer didn't show up to serve in the kids' ministry today. Um, oh, man, you got a big head, dude. Okay. All right, so here's the thing. And then, like, uh, so try it now, bud. See, see how well you are now. Oh, okay, pretty, not bad, right? Okay, so, so hold on, stay close, I'm going to give it back to you, okay? So, so that, that's a challenge, right? When we, when, when people, um, when, we, when we don't have the people serving as they're supposed to be serving. Uh, before we try it one more time, um, here, here, here's, here's another problem, okay? Uh, all right, so try it again, bud. Oh, man, that wasn't even close, right? Hey, let's give you a round of applause. I think that il- illustrates the point. Sometimes within the culture we leave, it feels like the goals are constantly being moved on us. Hey, thank you so much. And that makes it really hard, too. So we're a body, right? We're a body working together, but sometimes we are blind because we don't have adequate resources, or sometimes our, our, our arms aren't working because people aren't serving in maybe the, the roles that God had designed them to function in, and it's, it's, it makes it really, really hard, doesn't it? Accomplishing our mission is actually very, very hard when we don't have the support of everybody we need. 
when we don't have everybody playing their part, when not everybody steps up to do what God has called them to do, because if we're only in it for our own personal good and our own personal morality and we're here for ourselves and not for the mission of the church, then we are like a church with a bunch of severed limbs. And if you've ever seen an animal or a human lying on the ground that is a bunch of severed limbs, you'll know that they are accomplishing nothing. And that's kind of what it's like when people do not rise up to help serve the mission of the church. And so here's how we have decided to do this here. Of course, every context is going to be a little different. We have this thing called the discipleship circle. It um, begins with begin, as you think at the top. Uh, this is really where everybody is at some point in their journey with Restoration Church. You begin at some point. You, you enter in the doors. You attend an event. You see a road sign. You come onto our webpage, whatever it is. You, you uh, begin with restoration in this way. And there are a lot of ways that you could help serve and enhance our beginning processes. We have hospitality teams. We have events teams. Um, I'm going to talk a little more about the, the corporate bridge. See, how they all funnel into the, the bridge in the end, that the bridge is our extension of ourselves into our community. It's how we reach our community for Christ. It's that missional component of who we are. And so there are a lot of things, um, ways that you can serve within the begin phase that will help you accomplish that as well. And then you move on to this belong phase, and there are a lot of ways that you can serve and get involved and invested in the belong phase as well. There are groups, and there are courses, and there are teams. Um, in, in fact, even just to, to, to point this out to you, like, um, we are still in the process of, of getting our kids' ministry back up and running after COVID, and we need um, about eight more volunteers um, to open the nursery, and we can't open the nursery until we get these volunteers. And how many people have babies that want to come and experience this gathering on Sunday mornings, but we don't have a place for their infants through two-year-olds? And so we need eight more volunteers just to open the nursery. And then we're going to have to go to two services again, which is super exciting because we're already, think about this, on a random July in random Sunday in July, we're already at capacity with one service here, so which is really exciting. Um, we, have, we have no idea. We are we're about to go to three services before COVID hit, and so we have no idea how long it's going to take before we, we get back to those points. But um, in order to have two services, we need more kids volunteers. And so we need about 20 more kids volunteers to start serving in kids ministry just to offer two services. And so there's a lot of ways that you can belong. And what's so cool about serving here is that you do it in teams. And so you get connected with people and you get to know people and you get to befriend people. So it's really important that we belong, a lot of ways to do that. And then the become phase, of course, is really important as well. This is how we grow to be like Christ, the maturity in Christ. Um, and there are a lot of uh, great courses that you can begin to lead if you've been through some of them. And so there's tons of ways that we can um, grow together and be the body here at Christ. And let me just tell you why it's important. Paul talked about the body analogy in a couple of the places in Scripture. In Ephesians in particular, he says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers— what he gave is found in verse 8, actually, just before this. He says that he appointed gifts given graciously, meaning that we didn't earn them, but this is his spirit, equipping people to do various roles within the local church. He equips his people for works of service. And so we have been equipped. God, by his spirit, has given us what we need to serve his community through love and good deeds, right? Pacing some things together. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so we work together in other words, Paul is saying, utilizing all of the various gifts and all of the talents that God has given each one of us, 
all of the resources that we've been entrusted with so that we might know Christ's likeness, so that we might grow up into Christ's likeness, so that we might be mature, he says, so that we might put on the fullness of Christ and the fullness of Christ with an overflow out of us. Not just to shove Christ into the gaps, not just to show up and say, well, I did my due diligence for the week. I guess I'll have to come back next week. Um, not just so that we can call ourselves Christians for whatever benefit that might provide you. No, so that we can obtain the fullness of Christ, so that we can be mature in Christ and live as Christ lived. And this happens, Paul says, when we function as a necessary part of the body. That we mature to Christ-likeness when we function as a necessary part of the Christian community. And then he continues, Then, when this happens, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their own deceitful scheming. Goodness, like how much do we need this in this last year and a half? Deceitful scheming, right? All the, oh man, just, it's, it's been crazy, right? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so the point Paul is saying is simply that our being equipped, the gifts that God has given each of us, is so that we might corporately and individually grow deeper in love both for God and for others. I need you, in other words, with the various gifts that God has entrusted to you to help me do this, to help me mature in my love, and you need me likewise with all the various gifts God has given me to help you mature in your love. And our community needs us then to be functioning well as the church because, my friends, our community, our neighbors are drifting towards their destruction. And so we must be called on mission, and we need each and every person involved in this so that we can be mature, functioning, loving body, moving and active in our community for our community. And so to get back to the bridge idea, like we want to be reaching into our community as we circle around the outside, we also must be going on mission into our community to represent the maturity of Christ that we are experiencing well in our community. And the way that we go about this then, it kind of looks like this. Julie Peglicetti has taken on a few additional responsibilities. If you guys know Julie, she is phenomenal. She does a great job. She is taking on the responsibility of organizing our community events, our community engagement, which are things like the 4th of July Parade, Fallsington Day, um, a number of other things that they do. And then community care uh, includes Be Rich and how we serve our community, a lot of the service projects we do, and things like that. But this is a huge part of what it means to be the corporate bridge. And all of these have different places that you can plug in. All of these have different places that you can serve. All of these have different places that where you can lead. And so the point of all this, my friends, is that you can be used not just to grow up yourself, but to help us reach our community for Christ. Whoever you are and whatever talents and abilities that you've been given, we need your help in fulfilling our mission. So do not give up the habit of meeting together, but encourage one another, the author of Hebrews says. We are called to each other's side for the express purpose, my friends, of accomplishing 
a goal. I'm going to invite Emily forward. We're going to sing one final song. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. If you are interested in doing this, of course, I'm not going to, uh, this is not supposed to be a guilt trip. This is not shaming anybody if you're not serving. But this is an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than yourself. This is an opportunity to be part of something very significant in in changing and transforming our community for Christ. And so this QR code, we, t- we saw this yesterday, is back up on the screen. And if you filled it out last week, you, I would encourage you to look at it again because it's been tweaked just a little bit. We will be in touch with you this week if you filled it out last week or if you fill it out now. Uh, this is going to send you to a form. And all that form is is an interest form. It's like, hey, there's a, bunch of, there's a bunch of events, there's a bunch of groups, there's a bunch of classes, there's a bunch of teams. And if you're looking at this and you're like, man, I would really love to start serving in kids, well, tell us on this form. Or I would love to get into a starting point group this fall. Well, tell us on this form. Or I would love to get um, connected with more men more consistently. Well, tell us on this form. And so this is a great form for you to fill out uh, regarding some of the interest you have about how to get better connected here at Restoration. Again, we'll be in touch with you this week if you fill that form out. If you don't have a smartphone and you'd like to fill it out, uh, see Kate. She'll be hanging out in the lobby afterward. We are going to sing one final song that I hope will orient our hearts around the goodness of God and a desire, hopefully, for all of us to be more like him to kind of conclude our time together. And then I would really, really encourage you to join us next week. We are going to conclude this series with the importance of prayer. And then actually afterward, we are going to spend about 15 minutes together out on the lawn outside after the service, just huddle up in a circle, just praying for each other and praying for our community. Next week is going to launch six weeks of intentional prayer. We're going to get a prayer guide into your hands, a lot of new prayer initiatives and prayer opportunities, worship gatherings, things like that will be happening over the next six weeks as we head towards the end of summer.